Great to be with you this evening on this wonderful night in the Christian year. Our joy overflows on this night because of one thing, and one thing only, and that is the resurrection of Jesus, the Son of God, the true King, the Messiah, the source of our singing tonight, the source of our alleluias tonight is over this one great event in the history of the world. Jesus rose from the dead. He is alive. He is risen. And He is the, cle- the King that He has always claimed to be. The angel at the tomb that night, as Sam read for us earlier, was the first to bear witness to this great event, saying to the women, He is not here, for He has risen, as He said. Come and see the place where He lay. The women, after getting over their fear and their amazement and astonishment, told the apostles. Then the apostles went out and told others. And then others told others and told others and others on down to the present day. This faith, this testimony, this witness that we have heard and responded to that has changed lives and communities and families all across the world, all across time. This event of Jesus rising from the dead. This is the heart of Christianity. Take this away, Paul says, and we Christians are of all the most to be pitied. If Christ did not rise from the dead, then we have no reason to celebrate. Now, perhaps it goes without saying that the resurrection doesn't fit with the rationalistic, scientific, modern worldview, nor with the revisionist uh, biblical scholarship that this worldview has spawned. I'm very well aware of those realities living in this town. So to any of you who are here tonight who may be a hardened skeptic to this event of the resurrection, or perhaps just a curious doubter, I, I want to affirm your sincere questions and arguments and suggest and say to you that those things demand and should receive a response and an answer. Recognizing that depending upon where your starting point is tonight, that believing in the resurrection may be quite a big pill to swallow for you. And I'd love to sit down with you further and engage in that conversation more fully, as would this entire community that's gathered here tonight. A place where questions can be asked, the hard questions can be asked. But what I want to ask of you particularly tonight is to become for a moment a sympathetic listener to a Christian party and to an an explanation for the rest of us for whom this is the ultimate reality to consider two massive implications of the resurrection that fuel our joy on a night like this and not just for a night like this but for a life that God has called us to live. Jesus has risen is no more true right now than it will be true when you're tired tomorrow morning and it affects us at all times. The first implication is quite simply that evil does not have the last word in God's world. Evil appeared to have the upper hand in the story that we've been walking through as a community over the past week. Mocked, beaten, crucified, and finally sealed in the tomb that was made secure by the guards, Jesus appears to the world to be a phony to be an imposter, to be a victim of his own delusion perhaps, and certainly a victim 
of the powers of this world as they were represented in the leaders of his day. It was surely evil that won the day, Good Friday would seem to tell us. But the resurrection, the fact of Jesus rising bodily from the dead, is the great reversal in the world. It declares unambiguously that God was in Christ on the cross, defeating evil, bringing forgiveness, and opening up a new way, floodgates into the life of his kingdom to all who would come and rest in him. The resurrection means that neither evil nor any human collusion with evil, whether that's the chief priests and the scribes, the crowd in Jerusalem, Hitler, Stalin, or Mao, or even you and me, This evil will not have the last word in God's world. And if we are willing, this evil will not have the last word in our lives as well. Everything that frustrates, everything that renders life futile, everything that angers us, all violence, all injustice, all murder, all futility, all dishonor, all lust, all envy, all jealousy, all of these powers are defeated at the cross. Vanquished. No more to run unchecked in God's good creation. As Paul says in Colossians, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing triumphing over them in him or in the cross. The God of life and love, the God who made the world that we see with all of its intricacies and beauty and delight, the God who made friendship and love, the God who made truth and beauty and creativity, this God is the one who prevails. And the resurrection assures us of this fact, that evil will not have the last word in his world, but life will, beauty will, love will. And we can rest in that. Life, not death, ultimately prevails. But it actually gets even better than this. Because resurrection isn't just about the world in which we live, but it's about us. It's about you and it's about me. It is a deeply personal reality. And this is the second implication of the resurrection, which is that evil does not have the last word, not just in God's world, but in our lives. It changes us, the resurrection. It changes our lives. It changes every waking hour of our lives. That's what Amit and Rachel, our candidates for baptism tonight, will tell us in a few minutes as they come to the waters of baptism that this reality of Jesus and Jesus risen has changed their lives. Jesus has gone before us. Jesus has made a way. Jesus has opened up a passage for us to travel through in defeating the wicked tyrant On the cross, paradoxically through the cross, Jesus provides safe passage from the world of death and sin, from our solidarity with Adam and all that came after him, into the world of life and peace for all of those who will trust in him. Now, if you worship here regularly, you will know that I do not reference movies often, but I'm about to do that we did have an illustration of this kind of rescue in the best picture-winning film of Argo this past year. Tony Mendez, played by Ben Affleck, enters into Tehran 
spoiler alert, at a time when the stakes were very high to rescue six American diplomats who had escaped from being taken hostage when the U.S. Embassy was was stormed by Iranians in 1979. They were hiding out in the Canadian ambassador's home, hostages, maybe not in the embassy, but hostages all the same, unable to move, unable to go outside, unable to rescue themselves. And at the heart of the plan of rescue thought up by this crazy CIA guy is the reality of giving them a new identity. As Canadian filmmakers, because everybody loves Canada, and not as American diplomats. And so he flies into the mess, into the city of Tehran, in this time when as an American he was sure to be captured and to die if he was caught. And he comes to them at the ambassador's home. And he tells them the plan, and they look at him and they're like, you're crazy. And he says, I need you to trust me. One of them responds, I don't trust you. I need you to trust me. Because if they will, if they will live into the new identity that he's come to give to them, and if they will unite with him and his plan, then they will escape the grasp of the enemy and be brought to freedom. And this is Jesus' offer to you and to me. We are hostages of sin and of death, enslaved to the wicked tyrant. And let me be clear and say that this doesn't mean that we, if we're not in Christ, are displaying an egregious wickedness that's going around and causing all kinds of havoc in the world. That's not what it means to be a prisoner of sin. It can mean that in some cases, probably not in most. But it does mean that we have a different master. Most likely it's ourselves or some other God of our own making, our career, our fame, our pleasure, our intellect. And such masters, despite all of their promises to the contrary, all of their promises that they will bring you life, they cannot deliver. Their rescue plan doesn't get you out of the sticky situation. As David Foster Wallace once said, himself not a Christian, these kinds of gods will eat us alive. But Jesus, Jesus is different. Jesus comes into our situation and he says, trust me, unite with me, follow me, follow my plan, get a new identity from me and you will be brought out of slavery to freedom along the path that I have cleared. You will have safe passage through the waters of the sea, through the waters of baptism. That path that Jesus has cleared for us is the path of death and resurrection. There is no way out of the old Adam apart from death. There is no way into new life apart from resurrection. Death and resurrection symbolized for us very visibly, very graphically tonight in the waters of baptism. And this is what Paul writes about to us in Romans 6. Paul tells us that as we trust Christ and are baptized, we are baptized into his death and raised up with Christ into new life. Death is the one-way ticket out of solidarity with Adam 
and all human collusion with evil and sin. And Christ took that ticket. And he did it for you. Christ, Paul says, died to sin once and for all. And one who has died to sin has been set free from sin. Therefore, those who unite to Jesus by giving up their lives to him, by trusting in his rescue plan, they go down into the waters of baptism so that, quote from Paul, their old man might be crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, to that wicked tyrant whose wages are only death. By death we are free. Death no longer has dominion over us. In light of what we celebrate tonight, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? We're no longer subject to be captive to a life of captivity to our lusts and our desires and our anxieties and our fears. We not only die with Christ as we go down into the waters of baptism, but we are raised up, brought out of the waters to new and unending life with a new master, with a new passport, with a new identity that's in him, that's alive to God in Christ Jesus, as Paul says in Romans 6. Of course, we're still all waiting that future resurrection when we will genuinely physically rise with Jesus who has already physically risen. But we have now on this day in a very real way already risen to new life. The ground has shifted underneath us. It's quite fitting that Matthew narrates the crucifixion with an earthquake and the resurrection with an earthquake because the ground shifts under our feet and we're no longer standing in the territory of sin and death and the wicked tyrant, the devil, but we're now standing underneath grace. Slaves no longer to sin and to fear, but alive to God in righteousness and truth. And now, as those who are alive, we're not subject to fear anymore. Our life doesn't have to be riddled with concerns over what might come tomorrow. Because alive in Christ, we know the certainty of the future that is ours in him. We can find existence outside of what we look like, of what we do, and of what people think about us. We can find meaning for who we are, not in our job description, but in our association with the one who came with the rescue plan and proclaimed to us that he loved us more than anyone could ever love us. We're not held sway any longer by mass marketing campaigns of our culture that tell us to find substance and meaning in sex or in beauty or in power or in wealth. Powerful though these idols may be in our culture. These things are under the domain of the evil one when seen as ends in themselves. But we are no longer under that domain. And this is great news for us to glory in tonight. Of course, we still confront evil and sin. We confront it every day. Of course, we still confront sickness and decay and destruction and death. 
but we do this while standing firmly planted on resurrection soil with the victorious and risen Christ at our side. No, not just at our side, but in our hearts, alive in us and conquering over all sin, death, evil, and wickedness, both in the world and in our lives. So as we continue in worship tonight, we can sing and say Alleluia together. Not just as overwhelmed spectators to a ghastly fight in which our hero has been victorious. But actually as participants in the fight. For whom the battle was far too much. Far too strong. Far too overpowering. For our our meager strength. But our rescuer has come into the fight. And defeated our enemy under clearing the path to life and to fullness and to freedom. A path in which we can now walk if we trust him. If we walk with him. We were bloodied, under threat, pinned down, taken captive. Some of you may feel that way tonight. But rest assured that Jesus has entered the fight. And he's entered on your behalf to defeat the evil tyrant. To once and for all put Satan to the floor. And give you life by his victory. And cleansing and release. That you might be alive in a whole new way. Brothers and sisters, I want you to walk in this life that he has given. Paul says that we have to reckon this to be so. Our reckoning does not make it real. It is real. But reckon it to be so. The world is changed. We are changed. This is our hope. This is our reality. Christ is risen. Alleluia.